Now remember at the outset that verse we looked at, Romans 8.28, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God's about to do something here. There are three men calling on Peter now. Peter's seen a vision three times. God's hand is in all of this. We find here that God is trying to, to steer Peter. And it's really a vivid reminder to all of us. And maybe you're at that place where God is working and God is steering you and you're wondering what's next. Well, as always, he's going to bring about something for our good and for his glory. You can trust him. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles, please, and turn back to the book of Acts once again. Acts chapter 10, where we started last time, dealing with a man in Caesarea who was a centurion by the name of Cornelius, all C's there. The Bible says he was a devout man. He feared God. He gave alms. But he was lost. He's searching. He's seeking. He's reaching out. He's praying at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the time of the evening oblation. Well, God heard him. And God sent an angel in a vision to say, your prayers, your alms, I've seen all that. And here's what you need to do. You need to send some men up north to uh, Joppa, and there you'll find Peter, and bring him back here, and he'll tell you what you ought to do. Well, we pick it up in verse number 9, Acts 10, verse 9, says, And on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, about noon. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now, while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Have you ever had a time in your life where you felt God was trying to show you something, trying to guide you, trying to direct you, trying to steer you. We're going to be talking about that today. When God is trying to steer us, let's pray before we begin. Father, we come before thee. We need your help as we listen here today. This is so important. I believe 
every child of God here listening who loves you wants to know your perfect will for their lives, wants to be in that perfect will. Father, help us now to be discerning and to know when you're trying to direct us in a certain way, a certain direction, when you're trying to steer us. Let us learn some things today from this that'll help us at these times. We pray now and ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a verse in the Bible that most of you know. Most of you probably have memorized. It's a great, great verse. It's Romans 8, 28. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That is a great verse, isn't it? And it's a promise from God that all things are going to work together for good to them that love the Lord and that want his perfect will. They're called according to his purpose, that is, not ours. And as I read this passage before me here today, I think of Romans 8.28 because I see it in action. I see a man by the name of Peter. I see a lost man by the name of Cornelius. I see other players in the drama here, Simon the Tanner and others. And, and we find here that God is going to work all these things together for good. He has a purpose in this. He is doing something. He is orchestrating all of this and bringing it to work together for good. Now, Peter is on the road, if you will. He's out of town. He's traveling light. He's by himself. Christ had said, as you go out there to bring the gospel, whosoever house will take you in, just abide there and let your peace be on it. So Peter's not staying in motels. He has no big suitcases. He's, he's traveling light. He's on the road here. He's traveling by faith. And he's staying in the home of a man by the name of Simon. Simon the tanner. Doesn't mean he was a professional tanner out in the sun, but one who dried out animal skins. It was a detestable occupation to the Jewish people. Repulsive. They hated tanners. It was also a dirty, smelly job, but somebody had to do it. And, and Simon here is a Jew, but he's a renegade Jew. He's, he's doing something the Jews absolutely hated, but they needed those skins. They needed clothes to wear, obviously, and other things. So somebody had to do it. But Peter is staying with Simon the Tanner. And why is that significant? Because this is God working all things together for good. These are baby steps for Peter here. He's slowly overcoming some prejudice and some bias that he's going to need to totally overcome in order to get the gospel to the Gentiles. As we take a look at God trying to steer Peter, there are some things that we can glean from it that would help us to understand how God is trying to steer us in the 21st century in the same way he is trying to steer Peter in the first century. We find here several things in this passage, and the first is what I call divine timing, divine sovereign timing. In verse number 9 here of Acts chapter 10, it says, And on the morrow, as they, that is these three men sent from Cornelius, as they went on their journey and drew nigh or near into the city, that is Joppa, where Peter's staying, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Now, these three men sent from Cornelius, obviously it had made good time. Because these two cities were about 25 to 30 miles apart. You see Caesarea Maritime up to the north there with the red arrow, and down to the south, you see Joppa, and they're both on the Mediterranean Sea, but they're about 30 miles apart. Cornelius got the vision at 3 in the afternoon, took him a little time to call these three men together, two servants, one soldier. He sends them off, 
I don't know if they traveled through the night. I don't know if they jogged in order to make it. I don't know if the boss knew that this was so urgent. He gave them some horses. But they're coming into town, traveling about 25 to 30 miles the next day about noon. So they had made some good time. Well, at that same time, Peter had gone up on a on a housetop there in Simon the Tanner's house. Houses at that time had flat roofs. They had railings around them. You could go up there, and there was all kinds of Old Testament laws about how to keep somebody from falling off. But it's a quiet place. It had to be a nice place because it's right by the seaside there. And to the west there, his view was the Mediterranean Sea, the turquoise, beautiful bluish turquoise waters of the Mediterranean Sea there. And so Peter's up there with the ocean wind going through his hair and his beard there and, and the, the sound of the waves coming in and out and almost a hypnotic type of a thing there. And we find here that it's about noon And the ladies are down in the kitchen, they're fixing the lunch, and he's getting hungry up there. And God had given to him even some kind of a great, greater hunger than than normal that he would have at the noon hour. God is about to change the course of history here. This isn't some little thing. This is monumental. This is paramount. This is the Gentiles, the non-Jews, actually getting the gospel of grace, of salvation, and being able to get saved. That is huge. Because for years to a Jew, a non-Jew was a dog. They were a mongrel. They were something less than human, if you will. But God is about to change all that. He's orchestrating something here, and he's moving key people around like pieces on a chessboard to bring this thing to pass here. It's divine timing, and I find it all over the Bible. You know, as I read certain books of the Bible, like the book of Ruth, and how can you read the book of Ruth without seeing God about to do something in the the messianic lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's it's amazing how he, he brings all that stuff together. Esther is another book in the Bible. That stuff didn't just happen coincidentally. God was doing so many things at one time. And even in Acts, we've seen him bring the gospel to an Ethiopian African man. And we've seen uh, him bring the gospel to Saul of Tarsus, a very biased, uh, dyed-in-the-wool Jewish man here. God had a plan, and God still has a plan. And there are a number of verses in the Bible that teach that God is at work, and his timing is divine. Now, what was going on at that time in Israel was definitely very different than what we could understand today. The Gentiles were about to get the gospel And God has a plan to get it to them because God always has a plan. By the way, that's good to know at times in your life and my life when things are unraveling. I don't know about you, but I've had times over the 38 years that I've been saved when the wheels have fallen off and things seem to unravel and and you back up and you say, what is going on? God has something in mind. God has something divine in mind. And we need to just let God be God and step back and let him do what he wants to do because he's always up to something. And he's always way ahead of us. I've been reading in Jeremiah recently. In Jeremiah 1.5, God says this to Jeremiah. He says, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God is always way ahead of us. Here's what Isaiah the prophet said. In Isaiah 49.1, he said, The Lord hath called me from the womb. From the bowels or the inwards of my, of my mother hath he made mention of my name. God knew your name before your parents named you. God knew your name before you were even born. God knows everything about you. It never ceases to amaze me how much God has it all laid out. And the point is this. We can trust him. He knows what he's doing. Trust him. 
He chose you even. That's what Christ said in John 15, 16. He said, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So certainly God has a plan for you. And God is always fulfilling those plans. God has a plan for Peter right now. And we find at the present, it's high noon, and Peter is very hungry, the Bible says, according to verse number 10, which is really appropriate here. We find here he has a divinely inspired appetite, and the vision here he's about to see involves eating of all things. So God's bringing this all and gelling this all together. We see, first of all, divine timing. Secondly, we see what I call a deep trance. Peter's going to fall into a deep trance. He's going to have a vision. In this vision, there's going to be an allegory, and God is going to set the stage, if you will, for the Gentiles to get the gospel through it all here. He's really preparing Peter for a visit here. Because in just a few moments, there are three men from about 30 miles north. are going to knock on the door, and they don't know what's going on. And Peter doesn't know what's going on. But God is trying to bring this all together. Now, I said a moment ago, with our 21st century mind, we cannot begin to understand how prejudiced the Jews were in the first century against the Gentiles, especially a devout Jew like Peter. 2,000 years earlier, God had chosen a man by the name of Abraham, separated him from a country to the northeast, and brought him to that area of Palestine, and basically made him the first Jew. From him... His lineage have come a people that are still with us yet to this day. At that time, when he chose to start the Jewish race, he wanted a a special people that would witness of him to the world, that would testify of God to the world, testify of Jehovah. So he gave to those people the oracles that he wanted them to know, the law and and the Bible and favor and worship. and, And it wasn't because they were more righteous. They weren't, not by a long shot. They're very stubborn people and and a rebellious people, but he chose them nonetheless to testify of God. They were to be a beacon light uh, to the world about God and to bring the world into a right relationship with God. That's why he raised them up. He, He would bring from them the Messiah, the Son of God, eventually here. The very fact the Jewish race is still around today is a miracle. And we can talk about, you know, Hitler uh, annihilating over 6 million of them in, 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 in even the 20th century. But honestly, there were organizations and, and nations that pummeled on them by the millions even up to that time. If you want to prove there's a God, just point to the Jewish people. That prove there's a God, the Jew, right then and there. They're a modern-day miracle. And there's not a night that goes by where they don't make international news and you're still hearing about them to this day. Well, at the time... The Jewish people naturally felt pretty special. And, and Peter felt pretty privileged even. But in time, that, that specialness turned to pride. It turned to prejudice. And everybody who was not a Jew was a dog. Or something less, if you will. And by the way, we're all capable of this attitude. Of, of getting indignant if somebody doesn't agree with us. And in a, in a given week... We, we scorn folks, and so over the years, the Jews had done that. Anyone who wasn't in their club was, was a dog. Now back to Peter. In verse number 10, it says, And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell 
into a trance. Now, I've been hungry a number of times, but I've never fallen into a trance. I've never been that hungry, and I I doubt you've ever been that hungry, but I think God triggered this. I, I think God triggered the deep trance here, obviously. And in verse number 11, it says, And he saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet, knit at the four corners, and let down to the earth. Now, I can't quite picture this, but it's some kind of a vessel. It's some kind of a sheet. It's, it's some kind of a, a huge bedspread. And, and on it, you find, like Noah's Ark, basically, all these animals, every type of animal on this, this bed sheet here that is knit at the four corners, a giant linen cloth. And, and what it looked like is really not as important as what was on it. You've got all these animals on this bed sheet here all these unclean animals. And in verse 11, it tells us it was let down to the earth. That means it's coming from above. It's coming from heaven. This is a message from heaven. This is a vision from heaven. And by the way, and I've said it already, be careful of visions today in the 21st century. Because there are a lot of people and they claim, oh, I had a vision. God told me to to tell you this kind of thing and that kind of thing. And there are a lot of wannabes out there who claim they've gotten a message from God. But we have the finished word of God today. This book here contains the oracles of God today. And as Revelation 22 closed, God said, don't add to this or don't take from this. And so if somebody comes along and says, I have a New Testament or I have a new revelation, don't listen to them. We, we don't have the visions and the revelations and the signs and the wonders and all that stuff today. In fact, Christ warned us, don't even seek after that stuff. We live by faith, and faith cometh by hearing the Word of God, so we have the Bible with us today. Now, back to the Bible. It mentions this great vessel, all these things on it, the four corners. It's knit together. It's let down to the earth. And in verse number 12, it says, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. It's a microcosm of, of every species you can imagine. There, there, were, there were mammals on it. There were birds on it. There were fish on it. All these things that you could eat were on it. Now, the Jews had certain dietary laws. There were certain things that they could not eat. If it didn't have a cloven foot, if it did not chew the cud, they could not eat of that particular animal. There were certain birds they couldn't eat. There were certain fish that they couldn't eat if they didn't have scales, if they didn't have fins. You read back in Leviticus 11 of all those things. These are creatures that that God had made, but he had told the Jewish people, you're not to eat of those things. And, And so it brings up the question, even yet today, are there certain things we shouldn't eat? What about bacon, you know? Sure smells good in the morning, doesn't it, when it's sizzling on the the skillet down there? Should we eat bacon? Well, Leviticus 11 banned bacon, but that was for the Jews. That was for the Old Testament. That was something that was ceremonial. It served a purpose. But we find as the Old Testament ends, there's 400 silent years, a big gap of time in between the Old and the New Testament. And the New Testament opens up now with Jesus Christ. Something's different here now. And Christ is going about his ministry, and the Jews are getting on his case for not really keeping their Sabbath laws the way they thought that he should be keeping them, and, and, they, and he wasn't washing the way they thought he should wash before he ate and all that kind of thing. And in Mark chapter 7 and in verse 18, Christ made a statement. He said, Whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draft, 
purging all meats. He's kind of pulling away from something here if we get his drift. Later on, in Romans 14, 14, Paul said, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So, so Paul tells us there's nothing, he's talking about food here, nothing of itself that's unclean. And by the time we get to Colossians 2.16, Paul makes this statement. He says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day. And so bottom line is the door is open to what we eat today somewhat. I, I would say use common sense. Don't be living on, on uh, hot dogs and that kind of thing. But we find here some statements that would lead us to believe that since the resurrection, something has changed. And we read in 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, the Bible says for every creature of God is good. And nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. And so it, it speaks about praying and ask God to, you know, bless the food. And we do that. And sometimes those hot dogs, you don't know where they came from. So it's a good idea to actually ask the Lord to, to take the poison out of them here. But we find at the time of Peter, it was a different time here. And Peter sees this vessel with all these unclean animals on it. He's told to rise and, and, and slay and eat. And there he sits looking at all these unclean species sneering and jeering and, and spitting and scowling and going, no, no way, I'm not going to eat that stuff. That's contemptible. But these beasts on that linen blanket, if you will, represented the Gentiles. Do you get that? And, and, and the Lord is about to show Peter a lesson here. We see the divine timing and the deep trance, but thirdly, we see the disciples testing. Peter is going to be tested here. What's he going to do? Notice in verse number 13, it says, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's horrified. Ew, ishy, I, yuck, I'm, I'm not going to eat that stuff. I've never eaten that stuff. That was completely repulsive to him. Is there anything you absolutely hate to eat? I, I mean, cucumbers. That's my kryptonite. I, I'll eat absolutely anything but cucumbers. If you put a bowl of cucumbers and vinegar in front of me, rise and eat, I go, yuck, forget it. Here's Peter, and he's looking at all this stuff, and God is telling him to eat it. But again, it's symbolic of the Gentiles. The Gentiles not being considered unclean. And Peter's going to protest. Why? Because prejudice dies hard, doesn't it? Prejudice goes down hard. So here's Peter. He sees all these unclean animals. He's told to rise and eat them. And he's going, huh? Is God changing something on me here? Do we have some different kind of a dietary law here? Or is this a test? Maybe this is a test to see if I'll do it when I shouldn't do it. I've been reading in Jeremiah recently. I said a moment ago. And Jeremiah actually finds these group of boys. They're brothers. And they're the sons of a certain fella. And he puts wine in front of them. He says, drink up, boys. And they go, nope. We made a vow to our daddy. We'll never drink that stuff because he, he told us not to. And he said, you've passed the test. And uh, Israel ought to take note of how to obey here. There are places in the Bible where we find testing. We find that God sends Abraham out, I mentioned him a moment ago, to sacrifice Isaac, his son. Tells him to sacrifice his son. Do you really want him to do that? No, he just wanted to see if he was willing to do that. It was a test. And Abraham passed it with flying colors. 
We find a prophet in the Old Testament, and I forget all the particulars, but, but he was told to go and deliver a message and not eat anything until he had gone back home. And he delivers the message, and on the way home, this other former prophet says, wait, stop and eat with me. And the guy says, I'm not supposed to till I get back home. And that other prophet, the older guy, lies, and he says, but God told me to tell you, by the way, there's a good example. Don't listen to that stuff. God told me to tell you it's okay now. You don't have to fast anymore. And he flunked the test. Well, Peter's got a test in front of him, and it seems legitimate here. Notice again in verse number 13. There came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill, and eat. What's going on? Well, God is trying to steer Peter. God is trying to steer Peter. He's trying to school Peter. He's trying to rework his thinking. He's going to use a man by the name of Cornelius to do it all. Now, Cornelius was a centurion, which means he was over a hundred Roman soldiers. Christ had already encountered a centurion during his ministry. He was the fellow who had the sick servant. Remember that? And he didn't feel worthy to have Christ come under his roof. So he said, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. Well, here's another centurion, and here's a a Gentile, no less, who is reaching out to God. We talked about that last time. He wants to know God. He will receive Christ as the Messiah here next time, something even the Jews weren't doing. The Jews were rejecting Christ as the Messiah, and here's a non-Jew who's so hungry for the truth. It's, it's, It's an incredible thing. In John 10, 16, Jesus made this statement. He said, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there should be one fold and one shepherd. You ever read that before? Ever just glossed over it and failed to catch the meaning of what Christ was saying? Speaking to the Jews, he's saying, there's going to be other sheep. They're not of this group. They're going to come along later, and this fold is going to be one, and I'm going to be the the shepherd of all of them. He's talking about the Gentiles here. He said, in another place, many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with the Jews in heaven. But the Jews at that time would miss it. You know, he also gave the great commission to the disciples to say to take the gospel to everybody. And the the disciples hadn't done that. Christ was not anti-Gentile. In fact, he went into his boyhood synagogue back there in Nazareth. And he stood up and he read from Isaiah... And then he went on to talk about some Old Testament Gentiles, this, this woman and this leper who had been given favor from God. Boy, the Jews of that synagogue got his drift. He mentioned Gentiles in a good light. Why that little? And they, they rushed him and, and they went to throw him over the, the cliff and he just passed through their mist. But the disciples were missing these little clues here along the, the way here. And so we find out here they hadn't really gotten it yet. So Peter gets a strange command in verse 13. There came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Now remember this about Peter. He was the one of the twelve that always blurted out the first thing on his mind. He was impetuous. He always opened his mouth and stuck his foot in it. And so when he hears this command, he says, Not so, Lord, I'm not going to do this. This isn't right. By the way, this isn't the first time Peter had rebuked the Lord. We find over in Matthew 16, where Christ talks about starting his church, in verse 22, he had said by this point, he's going to go to the cross. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Can you imagine rebuking 
God the Son, God the Creator. He says, not so, Lord. I'm not going to let this happen. And now we find, once again, those same words, not so, Lord. There's a uh, tremendous struggle taking, taking place in the breast of Peter, in the soul of Peter. Because he had learned from his childhood, it had been ingrained in him, this, this religious prejudice was galvanized over years in synagogues, listening to stuff, and, and now he's got this war going on in his heart. And he's told to eat this unclean food, and he says, not so, Lord. Not so, Lord. I want you to stop and think about that expression for a moment. Not so, Lord. That's got to be one of the greatest contradictions I find in the Bible. Not so, Lord. In other words, you're Lord, but I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. So you're not really my Lord. I'm really not bowing the knee. I'm really not submitting to you. Not so, Lord. Many years ago, there was a young believer in a European country who had gotten saved and had been called of God to take the gospel to Africa. And he wrestled with that. And he was talking to an older missionary who had really fulfilled his ministry and, and saying, God has called me to go to Africa, but I want to go into business and, and still serve the Lord. And that missionary opened his Bible and he turned to Acts chapter 10 here. And he showed him the words of Peter in verse 14. Not so, Lord. He flipped his Bible around and he said, I want you to take my pencil and cross out either not so or cross out the word Lord. Because it can't be both. You cannot say not so, Lord. If he is Lord, you cannot defy him. You cannot disobey him. It has got to be one or the other. My Bible says in Romans ten thirteen, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, that's the final verse I saw the night I got saved. But that word Lord stuck out like a neon sign. I made him my Lord that night. Did you make him your Lord? Have you had a time in your life when you bowed the knee to him and you received him as your Lord, your sovereign, your governor, your king, your ruler? You bowed the knee and you called upon the name of the Lord and you were born again and you submitted your life to him at that point. Well, Peter had done that and he knew better than to say this. You know, I sense here a bit of pride in Peter, not just prejudice, but pride. He's pretty proud of the fact he's never eaten anything unclean. He's pretty proud of his righteousness, his self-righteousness. Now, the, the Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. But Peter's, he's feeling more righteous than God. God had said, eat this stuff. And Peter said, not so, Lord. Watch that self-righteousness and watch that pharisaicalism. In verse 15, the Bible says, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. That's a rebuke to Peter. This blows Peter back. He's clueless. He thought he'd given the right answer. He thought he'd passed the test. But now he's rebuked. God is giving Peter truth in increments here. He's, he's bringing him along in baby steps. And his point is this. The Gentiles are not unclean. The Gentiles are to be given the gospel. In verse 16, it says, This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Three times God has to do this because old habits die hard especially prejudice here. And we find here that Peter's he's still refusing to eat this stuff. He's scratching his head. He's as hungry as a bear. He can smell the whatever sizzling down in the, in the kitchen there. But he's got a crisis of faith going on. And he's saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. 
You ever been there? You, you think that this is what you should do, but it's apparent God is leading you to do this other thing. And you're going, wait a minute. Uh, that doesn't match up with my theology, and that doesn't match up with my opinions or my mindset or, or, or my uh, uh, preferences, if you will. And there have been many things in my Christian life, honestly, I wouldn't have done it the way God did it. You ever been there? But as I watch God do it, I realize he knows what he's doing. If God tells us to do something, end a discussion. He's God. That's it. And God has told Peter to do something. That should be the end of it. In verse 15, it says, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And that's ringing in the ears of Peter now. We've seen the divine timing, the deep trance, and the disciples testing. Finally, we see the doubting trust. You say, that's a contradiction, Pastor. That's an oxymoron. A, a, a doubting trust. Peter's sitting there in doubt. He's musing. He's, he's thinking. He's wondering. He's wrestling with his feelings. He has this, this inner turmoil going on. And there he is on his, his rooftop, looking out at the Mediterranean Sea, hungry, and scratching his head and stroking his beard and wondering within himself, apparently... The gospel of Calvary is to get to the whole world. It's to go further than we think. His little world was pretty refined at that time. Here's Peter looking out at the Mediterranean. I've seen it several times. It's beautiful. It's a huge sea, and it's a much bigger world than he was used to. His world was the Sea of Galilee, which really isn't a sea at all, about the size of a bigger Minnesota lake. And that had been his world up to this point. We find here that his world is about to expand. And in verse number 17, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. We find here the answer for Peter is at the gate. In verse 19, While Peter thought on the vision... The Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Now, remember at the outset that verse we looked at, Romans 8.28, For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Remember what we talked about there when we looked at that? God's about to do something here. There are three men calling on Peter now. Peter's seen a vision three times. God's hand is in all of this. We find here that God is trying to, to steer Peter. And it's really a vivid reminder to all of us. If you're sitting in a valley of decision today, or you have in the past, or you will be in the future, I want to share with you something as we close today that is very important for you to remember. Give God time to show what he wants you to do. Let God steer you. Let God bring that thing into to focus. In verse number 20, I like these words. Peter was told to arise, therefore, and get thee down, and to go with them, notice, doubting nothing. Doubting nothing. Peter's in a state of confusion, and God is saying, just wait. You'll see what I'm going to do here. Just trust me. The outcome will be good. It's going to take time. And I've seen this a number of times personally. But you just wait on God and watch what he's going to do. May I give you a great, great verse in Isaiah 50, verse 10. The Bible says, Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth 
the voice of his servant that walketh in darkness and hath no light. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay or wait upon his God. Who is there among you? It's talking about good Christian people. Fear the Lord. Obey the voice of his servant. You, you listen to the preaching. You, you apply what the, the, the preaching says. God is describing good folks at that time. They feared the Lord. They obeyed the voice of the prophet. But they were walking in darkness. This can happen to Christian people. Walking in darkness. No light. What's the advice? Notice the last part. Let him... Trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Maybe today you're in a fog. Maybe there's something in your life personally. There's confusion. You go, I don't get it. God says, trust me, the outcome will be good. Let me give you part of a verse in Habakkuk 2.3. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come. It will not tarry. You can trust God's timing. It might seem like it's delayed to us but it isn't to God. It might look to us like God is tarrying. No, God is always on time. His timing is perfect. I'm preaching to myself here. I don't know if this applies to you, but it definitely applies to me. God operates on an eternal calendar. Don't ever forget that. We don't. He does. God operates on an eternal calendar. And let me make another profound statement for you. Delays never destroy God's plans. Delays never destroy God's plans. God is up to something. You know, even the arrival of Christ to this earth was on pinpoint precision timing. Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. God sent forth. God's never behind. God's never ahead. In the fullness of time, God said, it's time now. It is time now. So don't run ahead of God. Don't run ahead of God. We find in Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It's like God repeats himself. Just let God show you. You know what? God might be preparing you for what you need to do. And you might not be ready yet. Peter wasn't ready yet. God's preparing Peter here. God's orchestrating this whole thing here. And and he's steering Peter And Peter just had to wait until God unfolded this thing for him. We read in Isaiah 30, and this is a great verse, verse 18. It says, And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you, and therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is a God of judgment, and blessed are all they that wait for him. It's for our good, it's for his glory. God will come through. Let me show you one more verse. Proverbs 3 and verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Can we trust God at times like this? Peter has no alternative. (laughs) He's got to trust God. What is God trying to show me here? God will show him in time. God always does. God is in charge. God is in control. God knows what's best. And his timing is absolutely impeccable. So, We leave Peter perplexed and pondering on a rooftop. We'll pick up with it next time, but I just want to say in closing, maybe you can relate to Peter. And maybe you're at that place where God is working and God is steering you and you're wondering what's next. Well, as always, he's going to bring about something for our good and for his glory.
you can trust Him. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.